Mike, it is good to be with you today. I'm Mike, one of the pastors on the team. We're talking about Crazy Love. This is part four of our series today, Crazy Love Making, as in Crazy Good. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout and uh, so you can follow along, fill in the blank. Today's the day you might want to take notes, just saying. Uh, but we do have, as Greg mentioned, some uh, mature content that we're covering. So today is very definitely rated M, and we just want to make sure you understand that. We're trying to make sure we're very, very clear that the content that we're going to cover has to do with God best for sexuality, and if that is a topic that is uh, too, um, it's too much for maybe an elementary school child that that you've got with you, uh, please check out our children's ministry. I promise you we're not going to try to go crass, we're not going to try to go rude, that's not our heart, but we want to honestly and frankly discuss this issue of sexuality because honestly the church never does. And the culture, it seems like that's all they're talking about. And because the church has so often been silent on this issue, um, folks who are followers of Jesus, folks who are just curious, hey, what is God's plan? It's hard to find that. It's hard to discern that. So honestly, church, this is one of those topics where we have an opportunity to say, hey, what is it that the Bible talks about? What is God's best for our sexuality? And uh, I want you to know that's what we're talking about today. Very excited about it. I, I do also want to tell you, we're going to have a little fun as we go after this. The first service, I think they were just so kind of nervous, like, oh, we're talking about sex. <laughs> um, uh, okay, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, um, you just need to relax. Like, everybody take a deep breath, relax. We're going to have fun. Uh, but we will talk about, um, honestly and frankly, what it is that God has for us. I've got a lot of different resources that I want to pitch to you. Specifically, when we had Les and Leslie Parrott here last week, um, Les Parrott has written a book that's really good. It's called Crazy Good Sex. And uh, I, I was able to read through that. I was, man, I have never seen a... Uh, just a really honest look. It's specifically written for men, but Leslie has written a bit at the end of each chapter for the wives. And so um, it, it's a book that I could recommend to you. I, I've never seen some of these topics um, be treated before. And he does it so gracefully. And he does it well. He does it biblically. He's got a lot of research that he goes after. But like there is an entire chapter on penis size. Penis size. Like Some of you are like, okay, my second grader is leaving now. Um, Yeah, but it's it's one of those. So we've got all these questions, right? And because the church isn't answering the questions, we're going outside in the culture and we're looking at Cosmo magazine and all this. No, no, no. God has a plan and he has revealed it to us. And, And somehow the stereotype is that the church is too prudish to ever talk about this issue or that somehow sex is always going to be a dirty topic or that it's, you know, that God made, you know, most of the parts of the human, but the devil put the genitals on, you know, like. That, that kind of, it's just wrong. And so anyway, we've got a video that we want to show you. It just tackles a ministry uh, sort of that, that we've talked about before here at Overlake. Anyway, take a look at this and we'll debunk the stereotypes. Well, my name is Marty Flipman and uh, this is my wife, Martina. You know, we grew up in the church, so we know that sex is a sin even after you get married. I just find my wife, Martina, is just, uh, she's worth waiting for. And uh, that's why we've started a new ministry. It's called Worth Waiting Forever. Ever, 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 ever. I have no idea what happened. We were just uh, living our lives the way we know how, just leading our Wednesday night meetings of uh, Worth Waiting Forever. And uh, we noticed that Martina uh, was starting to get really, uh, really fat. And, um, you know, what started out as just, you know, a typical two slim fasts and a sensible dinner uh, turned into um, just a nonstop train of, of cheese and tortillas. And M&M's. And M&M's. And as far as we know, uh, that isn't a Christian company, so we were concerned. But um, it turned out uh, there was a baby in there. And if I heard the doctors right, um, it was in there for months. Yeah. And um, so eventually uh, she gave birth to our sin. Our son. Right, our son. What did I say? 
It was really important for me uh, to support Martina uh, through this process um, by giving her as much space as possible. Um, I hear it went well. The doctor said that uh, that he was he was a big baby, and um, I blame the tortillas for that. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there there has been a, a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt. So there he was, uh, just this little bundle arrived, and uh, by all accounts, he was just completely uh, against God's plan. Being a dirty, dirty sinner is no excuse for becoming a mommy. Right? <laughs> That's what I always say, <laughs> often. You know, I've thought about this uh, a lot, and uh, I have no idea <laughs> how this happened. Oh, he isn't yours. He isn't? Oh, thank God. Oh, man, that's, that's good. That's, oh. You know, uh, knowing that Martina's son isn't a Flipman um, really just makes me think that uh, there are a lot of things not being a Flipman that he'll have to deal with, you know? I mean, uh, I'm assuming there's a large chance he'll have red hair. Or if he's not a Flipman and he lives in Seattle, uh, I really worry he's gonna struggle with vegetarianism. He might genetically want to listen to something other than Amy Grant, and honestly, I just don't know what to do with that. You know, I'm sure he'll struggle with the fact that he'll be growing up in our house um, without a father. You know, my, my guess is that um, his first steps, you know, maybe his first words uh, might not be authentic. I mean, look at him. I already don't trust him. You know, even though he can't talk yet, I have to assume um, all the little noises he makes are uh, little baby swear words. You know, I'm just so thankful that at least one of us uh, can continue leading uh, our weekly group uh, worth waiting forever. And I can get my Wednesdays back. I know, right? <laughs> Wait, what? All right, all right. So obviously that was a joke. Greg is on our staff. He is an incredible dad. He's a loving husband. But that is the stereotype we want to blow out of the water today. We want to, this idea that sex is always dirty, that it's always sinful, that it's never God's plan. No, no, just the opposite. In fact, look what the scripture says here. Proverbs eighteen twenty two: The man who finds a wife finds a treasure. If you have a spouse... You have found a treasure. And then look what it says. And he receives favor from the Lord. If you're married today, when is the last time you hit your knees and just thanked God for the treasure that you've received from him? This favor that covers your life. When was the last time that you just celebrated your spouse as a gift from God? See, this is where we want to go after. This is the direction that we want to approach this subject of sex and crazy love making. And we've been talking through this series about some selfless kinds of vows we can make. And so I just want to go through these. The first one we talked about, the, the vow that you would make to your spouse next to Jesus, you are my priority. In other words, very first, very utmost is my relationship with the Lord God. But second... And right close to that is my priority of, of this relationship, this covenant that we have together as a married couple. That brings us to the next one. I am your covenant partner in Christ. So this covenant partnership is what we call marriage. And in this covenant partnership and in this alone, we see God's plan for sex and for intimacy and for life together. And so last week specifically, we tried to unpack what does it look like to be covenant partners together and to see the fullness of God's blessing flow into our marriage, right? And specifically in regards to sex, inside of the parameters of this covenant partnership, this is where God's best for our sexuality occurs. Outside of the parameters of marriage, uh, there are all sorts of other forms of sex and sexual expression. Those aren't God's best. They're going to miss the mark. God's best is within these uh, sort of these confines of, of covenant partnership with one another. And it actually brings us to our third vow, the selfless vow we can make to our spouse is I will pursue you always. I will pursue you always. And the kicker here is the word always. See, at the front end of a relationship, wooing 
seems to come fairly naturally. Guys, we shift into this hunter conquest mode. And so just we're, our brains are wired. We're goal-oriented that way. And so in this mode, it's, you know, candlelight and creativity and mood music and, and all of these original ways to communicate value and romantic sentiment to our bride-to-be. And gals, you're very, very similar to this. They, they, being romantic and showering affection and whispering sweet nothings to your guy, all of this comes naturally on the front end of a relationship. But then what happens? Life happens, I would suggest. Careers happen. Pace happens. Exhaustion happens. Kids happen. That, that this idea is that there's all sorts of other things that happen, but the commitment is that the pursuit will continue. And so what this vow means is that wooing your spouse doesn't stop, that dating your spouse doesn't stop, that lavishing affection on your spouse doesn't stop. And last week we unpacked this idea that marriage in this covenant partnership is God's plan for unity. That uh, a husband and a wife are to come together in God's eyes, they are one flesh. They are bonded together. Now, this is unity and completion. That's God's plan. And what the enemy of God wants is for there to be division, two visions. There, there to be this disconnection. God's plan is for intimacy and wholeness. And Satan's plan is that it would be destroyed. Because God has a good plan, he included sex in the package. Now, sex it, uh, created by God has this opportunity to release a hormone physically called oxytocin. Oxytocin is what researchers call a, the, the bonding hormone. And so sex within the context of marriage is designed by God to seal and to reseal, to connect and to reconnect, to build these, uh, this parameter of intimacy within the covenant relationship of marriage. Friends, there is nothing dirty about God's plan for sexuality. Nothing at all. God is the one who made us. He made all of our parts. God is the one who made sex to be the, uh, you know, the gateway for reproduction, right? I mean, uh, isn't that a, a wonderful thing? He could have made reproduction any way possible, like any process of manageable. He, you know, he could have made, you know, having babies like going to the DMV, right? Thank God he didn't, you know. There's actually these, the intimacy and pleasure associated with reproduction. This is his plan, and it's a powerful and it's a pleasurable plan. And uh, so many of the questions that I've received over the last couple of decades of ministry have to do with what kind of sex the Bible talks about. What, what is okay in the eyes of God? What are the areas that he can bless and, and in the scripture chooses to bless? And so I read through the, the Bible's most metaphorical and explicit book on sexuality. This is Song of Solomon. And after reading through this book, I've concluded what you may have concluded if you read through the book, that, that there is no way that you can conclude that God's down on sex or that, that sex in the context of marriage is designed to be boring. Here's what one local pastor puts it. He talks about the Song of Solomon uh, giving great liberty to sexual freedom and the exploration of all five senses that he has created. Uh, the first in kissing... This is in Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Second, oral sex, fellatio, her initiative. This is in chapter 2, verse 3. Manual stimulation, her invitation. This is in chapter 2, verse 6. Petting, his initiative, chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, oral sex, uh, cunnilingus. This is his initiative, chapter 4, uh, 12. Striptease. Chapter 6, verse 13 through 7, verse 9. Strip to, it takes a little longer, so the more verses there. Uh, 7 is uh, new places, new positions, including the outdoors. That's in chapter 7 as well. In the Northwest, we know there are only 19 days a year in which this is acceptable. But the... Now, look at that list. Does that sound boring to you? I hope not, because I'm sweating up here as I read through the list. No, no, God's plan is not for it to be boring. This, this message is called crazy lovemaking, crazy good. And what we want to do is debunk the mythology that surrounds this concept that um, marriage sex or sex within the context of marriage isn't great, that it's not to be wonderful. So if you're filling in the blanks, the first myth we want to debunk 
is the myth that sex gets boring with one person. Sex gets boring with one person. Now, after we made the outline, I, I realized some of you may think this is a reference to masturbation. It's not. Uh, it should be sex with one other person. Uh, but uh, we'll maybe talk about masturbation a little bit more next week, pornography, that whole side of the equation. Here's the bottom line. that The myth is that sex with your spouse for the whole course of your lifetime, that, nah, it's just, that's boring. That, 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 that'll get old hat. That's routine. That's, you know, nothing exciting there. And so the culture, doesn't matter if you're talking about books, movies, whatever's happening, magazines, like everything in the culture says, no, no, sex is wonderful when it's wild and fresh and spontaneous and new with several partners, no commitment. It's only a physical act. That's how you keep things fresh. God says otherwise. And not only does the Bible say otherwise, no, it's within this covenant partnership of marriage. That's where you can experience the full blessing of God. But here's the deal. Research is now completely backing up what God has said all along. All of the latest research that's coming in indicates that uh, it confirms that the most satisfied men and women in the world are married couples who conscientiously invigorate the trajectory of their sex life. In other words, they make pursuing one another a priority and their sexual satisfaction just continues to get better and better. Here's God's plan. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. It says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Some of you are looking at that verse and saying, you know, I went to Sunday school. I don't remember that verse ever making it into our curriculum. That didn't hit the flannel graph. I don't know how, you know. (laughs) Here's the deal. My parents kept the best verses from me as well. After being an adult, I've gone through seminary. I have collected all the verses in the scripture that are like this. I put them in a notebook. It's how I get guys to memorize scripture. (laughs) Right? We start with those. Okay, this is awesome. Look at it. It says, this is God's plan that the wife of your youth, the one that you covenant with for the whole course of your lifetime, this is to be an intoxicating connection for the whole course of your life. Intoxication, what a cool word that is used in scripture that we're delighted in one another. So practically speaking, I'm going to go through some steps. Here's how to reignite that spark or to fan the spark into a bonfire to make sure that the trajectory of your sex life with your spouse just keeps getting better and better. Now, I do want to say a caveat. For those of you here who are single, please do not be bitter at today's message. What I do want you to do is to take good notes because you need to understand and realize that if you are to get married, if God does have you on that pathway, that he has a really good plan for your life. That's really good, okay? So here we are. I want all of you to kind of follow along here. A is to make it better, have a sex talk with your spouse. In other words, talk it out. Ask questions. Identify where your, where your partner is and, and where you are. And, and you might want to sit down and say, you know, questions like these. Honey, what do you like? What are the things that you enjoy about our sex life? What don't you like? Is there anything that you'd like to try? And these kinds of questions, they might enliven your union right away. I would encourage you when you have this conversation, be alert, be awake, not exhausted, not at the end of a long day or at the end of a long week, sometime when there's no sexual pressure between the two of you. And just slow down and talk to one another about what works, what doesn't work, what you both enjoy, be verbal, be free, and have fun with one another. This idea of learning from the other, it is a very biblical idea. In fact, look what the scripture says. Proverbs 1.5, a wise man will hear an increase in learning and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. So in this regard, when it comes to uh, learning about sexuality, your spouse is the wise counsel. And so have an open, a free, and honest conversation with your lover. B, woo your spouse. Woo your spouse. Make this commitment. Continue to seduce your partner. 
for your whole life long. As a married couple, you continue to learn about your partner, learn what uh, turns them on, what turns them off, what their love language is, etc. My wife Jody and I, we've been married for 15 years, and and I know that Jody's love language, one of them, is acts of service. So I've noticed throughout the years that it is a good thing for me to do the dishes, to be running the laundry, to be making lunches in the morning, to help get the kids on the bus. All of these acts of service, or (laughs) what I like to call foreplay, uh, all of these things are beneficial in terms of our feeling connected, of our feeling emotionally intimate, and that often leads to great things. That's that's a wooing kind of a process. But it's not just Pastor Mike. Uh, UW just recently did a study in which they found that men who help out around the house have a far richer sex life with their wives than those who will never pick up a mop. In 2003, uh, UC, the California school system, did a study. They found that women are more sexually receptive to men who clean up at home, and they are physically attracted to their men as they serve. How awesome is that? Guys, you should be saying thank you right now, right? I've just given you a key. Okay, but here's, here's the deal. Understand that wooing is an art form. It's not a barter system. Okay, so this idea of, hey, honey, I unloaded the dishwasher. How about a quickie? Like that, (laughs) that's not going to get to your spouse's heart, right? That's just a deal-making moment for you. So uh, I will tell you that when I was engaged to be married to Jody, before we were married, some wise Christian man put his arm around me. And he said, hey, Mike, I want you to know that after you're married, you, you just need to know this, that sex starts at breakfast. And I was like... Oh, yes! This is better than I thought, you know? I thought nightly, but now you're saying breakfast, and maybe I can work in lunch. And, and like, I was so excited. He goes, oh, slow down there, Tonto. Uh, let, me, let me tell you what I mean here. He said, it, what I mean is that your wooing starts at breakfast. And the, the way in which you connect with your spouse and build into your spouse and speak your spouse's love language. It starts at the beginning of the day and it goes on all the way through the day. Little love notes, little texts, little calls to check in. You're, you're doing all of these things so that by the time the evening rolls around, it already is desire that is a, a rich deposit that you can enjoy that intimacy and, and that fire together. That's God's plan. So woo your spouse and, and in the process of communicating and caring for one another, have a lot of fun. Uh, the next point here, C, uh, is just buy a lock for your bedroom. And I'm just talking specifically to the married couples in, in the house today with kids. If you've got kids, and you know I have three kids, or as I like to call them, coitus interruptus, uh, you know that there is nothing quite like that moment when you're in a moment and you realize that there's a little one standing right by the side of your bed. And you instantly start to calculate how much money you're going to have to set aside for their therapy someday as they walked in on you. So, you know, pursue your spouse in this way that you would buy a lock for the door or at least make sure you prop a chair under the doorknob, something like that. It's a way in which you value and communicate care Uh, Look what it says here. McLaughlin says, A successful marriage requires falling in love many times, always with the same person. Uh, Great point there. D, change your position. Change your position. In other words, the actual position that you use in your union, it's okay to change it up a bit. And there are a few resources, uh, again, that are wholesome kinds of resources to go in. Uh, Kevin Lehman wrote Sheet Music. The Penners wrote The Gift of Sex, A Celebration of Sex by Doug Rousseau. Um, They are kind of wholesome resources to help you get the creative juices flowing. But friends, there's no biblical mandate that there's only one position. You got to keep going in that. I mean, that's, that's a routine and people get caught in a rut and that's not God's best. And so I would encourage you to get creative in this process. We were actually thinking about doing a poll for you, Overlake, and, and having you text in what your favorite position is. And we came up with the reverse ninja, the British soldier, the half giraffe, the converse all-star, the Dr. Rosen Rosen. Don't vote here. They're just made up. We just made them up this week. 
<laughs> I do want to tell you that if you're having a conversation with a bunch of folks and your, your conversation is, let's come up with names for positions, anything you say sounds graphic. Like, it's, it's pretty interesting how that works. But I only bring that up because I want to encourage you to get creative with your spouse. They come up with a few on your own. They, they, together you have these conversations and be creative and, and innovative together. Uh, I will tell you that I have a buddy of mine. He's been married many, many years. And at, when they were getting married, his wife received at her bachelorette party a little book, and it had like a hundred or so different positions kind of sketched out and described in this little book. And my buddy says, you know, Mike, every once in a while she'll come out and, and she'll say, hey, let's try this, you know. And he goes, Mike, I've never read that book, but it's my favorite book in the world. <laughs> Right, so you change it up. That's fine. You know, change your position. That brings us to the next one. E, think outside the bed. Just as a new position can increase anticipation and excitement, so a unique sexual, sexual locale can as well. Uh, you know, we'll just start with ideas like bathtub, shower, maybe steaming up the car windows after you pull into the garage, following a night out, uh, maybe in front of a roaring fire. Uh, like these things are just ideas that might uh, begin the conversation, fan the flames, see if there are a few other ideas that you and your spouse can cook up on this idea of being interesting and, and new and fresh outside of the bed experience. Brings us to F. Add an optional extra. I can't tell you how many times over 20 years the question has been posed to me, well, Mike, what does God think about toys, right? Can we add toys? It got real quiet in here. <laughs> sure, why not? If, if that's something that you think, you've talked it over with your spouse, both of you think, oh, that might be pleasurable for both of us to introduce a toy or two or, you know, uh, what we call optional extras. Do you know there's no biblical prohibition at all? And in fact, many of you, even if you, that's kind of shocking, you've probably already added a few optional extras into your uh, love life. For example, have you ever lit a candle? That's an optional extra. You ever put on some music? How about use some incense or perfume? How about some oils or lotions, right? Lingerie, edible clothing, even something that requires batteries. All of these things, right? There's no biblical prohibition at all. And in case you would miss the point here, God's perspective is this. He wants the hottest sex that's happening in the whole land to be in the bedroom, in the homes of married couples who are connected in a covenant partnership with one another. That's what he wants, right? And so, yeah, increase passion and increase desire and increase adventure and creativity. All of those things fall under a beautiful parameter of God's blessing over your union and over your sex life. We call this monogamy gone wild, right? We love it and we want to celebrate that under God as he's the one who came up with it in the first place, right? God invented sex, by the way. You know this. It wasn't some French dude in the Middle Ages, right? This is God's plan. Now, I do want to give you a pastoral word of, of care here. I, I would say that in any of these ideas, unless both partners, right, husband and wife, are excited about, you know, trying something, taking a, taking a risk, unless there's a mutuality there, I would say hold off, right? Have the conversations, talk about why or why not. But, but here's the deal, both, because the goal is mutual. It's, it's for mutual enjoyment, mutual pleasure, and for intimacy together. That's the goal. So if you're not both excited about it, hold off on that. Second thing is if you do want to spice it up with things like lingerie or toys, I would recommend that it's the wife who takes the first step in those conversations and even in terms of acquiring uh, whatever you're talking about. Because it, whether you go online or whether you go to an actual shop, the deal is, is guys, we're so wired visually, we get locked into lust so much easier. Now, it doesn't mean that guys are the only ones who lust. We know statistically and just from ministry, we know that's not true. But the chances are, are, are good that the, the wife will have a better opportunity to go ahead and, and to create a, a moment of adding that optional extra and not getting locked into to pornography or lust. I will tell you this. Next week, we are going to talk about and explore what does that picture look like in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were before the Lord naked and unashamed. 
That's what we're going to talk about, this idea of purity, this idea of con- uh, conducting yourself and your entire life in such a way that you are, can be naked and unashamed with your spouse. So singles, actually, next week, the focus is on you a little bit. But, it, but for married folks, the idea of purity, it's going to be for all of us here. But please understand this. We, we want to honor the marriage bed and keep it pure. That's what the Bible calls us to. That means we want to make sure that we never give an open door to the enemy of God. We never invite another person into that bed, whether uh, realistically, you know, actually, or in our minds, right? We want to go after God's best, honoring that marriage bed and keeping it pure because we want the full blessing of God over our sexual union, okay? Brings us to the second myth. The second myth is that it's the husband's job to initiate sex, Husband's job, right? That's, that's what the guys do, and that's what the guys are interested in. All the guys want sex, and that's all they want. And so it's their job to initiate. And, and there are all sorts of myths about how much more sex the man wants, about the man's sex drive. And, but what's interesting is that most of the studies that are coming in today, are, they're finding that it's not actually true that the husband wants sex more. It's just that the wires are getting crossed. The communication is not happening. The one spouse doesn't feel that the other cares enough about them to pursue them, to talk with them, to flirt with them, to serve them. So if the wife feels like she's not a priority to her husband, if she's not pursued, that she's not a prize to him, then she's not going to feel like initiating sex. Likewise, the husband who might have been rebuffed once or twice, if he feels discounted or disrespected, then he's not going to feel pursued and he's not going to pursue. And it becomes a negative cycle of isolation, both partners withdrawing from one another physically and then the intimacy gets severed. Well, who do you think wants that? God or Satan? Satan wants to divide. God wants to unite. And so there's all sorts of myths around here. Or, friends, if the schedules are just too full and life is too crazy and the pace is is just too busy and so romance gets put on the back burner, pursuing one another is not a priority. Well, all of that, again, provides an opportunity for the enemy of God to come in and to bring division. So I was talking to Jody about all this. To us. We're kind of walking through the message for this week. I do want you to know that before you speak to thousands of people about sex, you might want to talk it over with your wife or else it'll ruin your chances uh, maybe a little bit later that day. And so you just want to make sure that everything's kosher. I was walking through some stuff with her and uh, realized that I would love to have you hear uh, her perspective as well. So Overlake, would you please welcome Jody Howerton to the stage as she shares with us? I definitely find it interesting that the first time I'm asked to speak, it's on such an embarrassing topic. <laughs> I'm just blushing all throughout this whole, whole thing. So the truth is that God wired us as sexual beings. God, God made us this way, men and women. Um, I have a good friend whose advice, advice that was given to her by her own mother on her wedding night was about regarding sex was... Don't worry, honey, you'll get used to it. And, and I know, it's very, very sad. And I, that's just not how God wired us. You cannot read the Song of Solomon without seeing this portrait of lovers pursuing each other. Of The woman in the, in the story of Song of Solomon pursues her man, pursues her husband, her lover, with just as much intensity, with just as much passion as the, the man pursues her. Um, in fact, I'm now going to say something that's really going to be embarrassing. I'm not sure if it's ever been said from this stage, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Um, the female genitalia, we're going to talk about that really quick. Yes, we are going to talk about the clitoris, ladies and gentlemen. It has 8,000 nerve endings. How many of you knew that? <laughs> 8,000 nerve endings. Now, men, the penis has 4,000. So now there, I've said two words that are really embarrassing. But we beat you. Okay, our genitalia beats yours in terms of God's hardwiring it for pleasure. So, yeah, you can clap about that. That's fine. Ladies, if you want to clap about that. (laughs) And what's exciting is that was God's idea. That was God's idea to make us that way. Okay, so we're going to talk about three kinds of sex in marriage. The first kind of sex, it's the quickest It's the appetizer sex. This is the quickie. This is you're at the end of a long day. You're exhausted. 
you've already worked, you've already gotten kids in bed, you've made dinner, you've cleaned up, you're back from your meetings, you know, whatever, and you just need to connect quickly. That's the, that's the appetizer. That's the quickie. Um, it's kind of like, all right, get over here, and then I'm going to go right to bed. <laughs> I might fall asleep during, but don't take it personally. That's kind of the quickie. Um, never happened. Never has never, never really happened. Ne- God. Oh, has happened. <laughs> no, we're cool. Go on, babe. Uh, okay, that's another point. The next, <laughs> the next type of sex is, is the meal sex. It's, it's the maintenance sex. It's the kind that has more connection. It has more physical touch. It has more care involved. And you're maintaining it. It's kind of like a meal. You need to eat. You need to sustain yourself using a meal. This is the kind of sex in marriage that is, you know, keeps you going. Then the last kind is the feast. This is where you don't want your kids anywhere near. You want to maybe go away somewhere for this kind of sex. You want to cross off lots of time on that calendar. This is you know, a lot what you read about in Song of Solomon, it's, there's a lot of feasting going on in that book. I don't know if you've read it, but it's one big love feast. Um, and, and this is all, there's room for all three kinds of sex in marriage. All three are healthy and all three need to be hardwired into your marriage. Um, because oh, I just also want to say we had a great feast one time in Italy and we were like, oh my word, no wonder the Italians never get anything done. <laughs> Anyway, we had to go away. We had to go to another continent for that to happen. Um, it's like three kids are a little, kind of a little crazy. Um, I will say this. Because this area of sexuality can be such a place of brokenness um, for men, for women, in a marriage, out of a marriage, um, it, it's just a tender thing to talk about. And I, I recognize that there's brokenness around this issue. Um, and I think... The good news is that God heals broken places. He specializes in fixing things that are broken. So if you're sitting here today and you're considering your marriage and you're going, I cannot even imagine this kind of sex in my marriage. I cannot imagine this kind of intimacy. It, you, you can. You can feel free to dare and, and, to, and to do that because God specializes in, fix, specializes in fixing broken things. Um, you know, I, I recognize, too, that a lot of us sitting here have experienced sexual abuse in some form or another. And there is hope for you in this area. God redeems things that are broken. So the very tool that was used to hurt you, God comes in and redeems, and he can restore this incredible intimacy. Um, and that's really all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you, babe. Thank you, honey, for letting okay. me speak. Thank you, Jody. She is godly and wonderful and incredibly hot. And I'm glad that she came and shared with us today. Hey, just to follow up on Jody's thought, you know, if this topic does bring up pain, then obviously we want you to know that as a church, we want to care for you. And so we have all sorts of opportunities for uh, counseling that we have in terms of brokenness. We have a Celebrate Recovery, all, all sorts of folks that would love to, to meet you and walk with you and be a support and, and care for you. We got prayer opportunities. So please understand that as a church, we want to come alongside and, and just help that healing continue. Okay. So we recognize that, that it is not just the man's job to initiate that both are designed to pursue one another. Both are designed to initiate. Look what the scripture says, right? This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. This is an incredible chapter, by the way. So I recommend reading the whole chapter, you know, uh, working out the implications. Here's what Paul writes. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. Likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, so take a look at that passage and you can just kind of wrestle with the implications what it's saying is that the husband, you fulfill your marital duty to the wife, wife, you to your husband. Now, that means, you know, courtship, that means wooing, that means connecting emotionally with one another, all sorts of things that marital duty can mean. 
but it also means to have sex, to, to fulfill your husband's physical needs, wives. That's your job, right? Uh, husbands, you, for your wife, that's your job. And, and, and so this is God's plan. It's, it's not his plan that husbands would go elsewhere to fulfill their sexual needs. It's not his plan that wives would go elsewhere to fulfill their sexual or their emotional needs. No, his plan is that in this covenant partnership, together you offer your whole self to the other so that both uh, parties can have their needs met, enjoy pleasure, uh, and be intimately bonded to one another. That's, that's his idea. And if you take a look at that pastor, uh, passage, rather, you'll see what sort of the caveat is. He's saying you're to do it, right? Do it. You're to have sex. And you're to have sex often. And if you want to take a break for prayer, that's fine. But then come back together and do it again. Because this is God's plan. And so we want to make sure that we go after And it's not man, you pursue and initiate with woman. It's not woman, you pursue and initiate with man. It is together. Your covenant is that you vow to pursue one another for the full course of your lifetime. Now, there is a, a resource, and again, we'll probably tweet these this week, so if you want to follow us on Twitter, we'll put all these resources up. But uh, came across a book called The Sex-Starved Marriage uh, by Michelle Wiener Davis. That's really an unfortunate last name in the sex industry. Um, uh, hopefully she doesn't tweet anything. Um, but uh, it, her entire practice is to marriages that are sexless. Where somewhere along the line that God's plan for sexuality and marriage got broken. And so she, and she counsels individually. She does these conferences where she walks through all kinds of things to help build unity, emotional connectedness. But basically the bottom line in this book, in her, in her counseling sessions, she just says, and she's very, very successful in her work. But her, her bottom line counsel is you need to do it. You need to do it. And you need to do it often. And even when you don't feel like doing it, you need to do it because it'll help you get in the mood to do it more, Right? And, and all experts and all research seem to indicate that the more you have sex with your spouse, the more you want to have sex with your spouse. And the less you have sex with your spouse, the less you want to have sex with your spouse. And so really, again, this is one of those deals where God's plan already in place. Now research is finally catching up and saying, you know what? God's plan is actually a pretty good plan. And so just understand that all of this, right, is, is going on in the background. All of this truth has been kicking around in my mind. I'm thinking, Overlake, how can I challenge you? How can I encourage you? How can I inspire you? So, so here's the deal. I found this pastor. His name's Ed Young Jr. And I've respected his ministry for a long time. And we've shared some of his stuff here at Overlake. And just a great guy. Um, it leads a great church called Fellowship Church. 20,000 folks that he ministers to on a weekend. And, and so here's a challenge that he brought to his congregation over like, I think you're ready to receive the same challenge. But I'll go ahead and let him describe it here on video. Pastor, Pastor Ed, okay. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Stephen. You, yeah. you, uh, you call for married couples to take part in seven, seven days of sex. Yes. Seven days in a row. Mm -hmm. Seven <laughs> days in a row. I, I didn't make it, I have to confess. My, my wife and I, we got six out of seven, but... We, we were well, sort of even tired. God, even God rests on the seventh day. Yes, <laughs> correct. Resting is important. It's incredible. Yes. Now, then it's seven days, and then, like, you're done for a while? Or is like, then Monday, you're back No, we it. were, uh, Stephen, we were done for a while. But I think, you know, the church, we've been quiet about sex and something that God has not been quiet about. So I think Christians... You're not doing it right then. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> you're being quiet about it. I know. <laughs> well... <laughs> Now, uh, you call this, now you get your, you're encouraging the entire congregation. How many people are we talking about here? Well, about 20,000 people show up to our church each weekend. Uh -huh. so. And how many, like, just right on the spot? <laughs> just light that candle. Well, when I made the announcement, Stephen, yep. 10,000, we have about 10,000 who are married. The men, like, gave a standing ovation. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a <laughs> but, shocker. But it was my wife's idea for the seven-day sex challenge. So when I threw that out there, the women were like, oh. oh. Why do it? Because sex, I mean, it sounds scandalous. Yes, sex is the super glue of marriage, and I believe God invented it. He thought it up. When we do it, we're going to really understand what intimacy is all about and what forgiveness is all about and all the things outside the bedroom affect what goes on inside. And so you say this, this is actually, it could, be, it, could be, it could somehow help your marriage 
No question. It'll no. take it to another level. No doubt about it. And that's the good stuff from this experiment that we did. Because I'm sorry, the what? <laughs> is that a trademark term? No, experiment? no. I didn't make no, it up. No. Sex experiment. Yeah. Do you think there's any any low any, any downside? Do you think there's actually something that that uh, could could uh, could cause a problem in a marriage? Like if somebody doesn't want to try this? Yeah, definitely. And and they have to agree. Obviously, both the man and the woman have to agree to this challenge. I didn't obviously make people do it. I suggested no pressure, it. No, no pressure. The preacher just That's suggested right. it. <laughs> no pressure at all. Yeah. But, yeah. but no, it, it you know worked out really well. And some couples, Stephen, because they, they were not going to do this sex challenge, they uh -huh. went to a marriage counselor's office and got some help. So I, th I think some issues outside the bedroom, again, really affected um, what went on inside. And you show me the, the sex life of a married couple, and I'll I show you not. the temperature. I refuse to. <laughs> I'll show you the temperature of their marriage. Pastor Young, good hey, luck. Great, great to be here. Good Steve. luck. <laughs> Pastor Ed Young of the Fellowship Church. All right, Overlake, are you ready? Here's the challenge. The seven-day sex challenge. Uh, I'm speaking of the married couples right now, okay? All right, seven-day sex challenge. That means every day for the next seven days, the challenge is that you would connect physically and intimately with your spouse, all right? Now, all I can say is, you're welcome. You're welcome. Nobody wants to respond with clapping. Nobody wants to cheer. Nobody wants to, really? Nobody? Nobody's excited about connecting with your spouse? Maybe nobody's married in the room right now. All of you are single and you're bitter that I'm bringing this up. Jody and I were with some neighbors last night, and we were, t we were talking about what we were going to cover in today's uh, sermon, and one of the neighbors was like, well, I'm an agnostic, but this sounds like a good week to believe in God. <laughs> Friends, I want to encourage you, if you're married, I want you to, enc to encourage you to take the challenge. And it's one of the next steps, and it's one of these things where uh, this is God's plan, that when you come together physically, when you're intimate with one another and you prize that intimacy, literally a hormone's released that bonds the two of you together and it will change the way you look at problem solving. It'll change the way that you look at your spouse outside of the bedroom, that all sorts of good things are a potential as you walk this road of consistently prioritizing and pursuing your sexual union. So I want to encourage you, all of you who are married, now, I also want to recognize what Ed Young Jr. mentioned, and that is that if this issue, or if this challenge, rather, brings up some kind of a, a, of a siren within you that you're like, whoa, whoa, this it doesn't sound good. It sounds like it's coercive. It sounds like I'm being manipulated. You, you're, you push back against your spouse immediately. It's not your spouse's fault. It's mine. But, but suddenly you're like, no, 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 this doesn't sound right. Listen to it. Listen to it. What is it? What is it that's not right? What is it that would not want you to be intimate with your spouse? A, a treasure from God, a part of God's favor over you. Is there brokenness in the relationship that, that honestly with a, a counseling session or you know, a few that, that you can talk about honestly and, and bring to light and receive healing? Is there abuse that you've sustained and, and it causes all of these wounds just to come right to the surface and you're trying your best to stuff them down, but, but they just keep coming up. And Friends, don't ignore it, but seek the healing of Jesus Christ. Allow his spirit to come and, and to touch you and to mend you and heal you. See, this is one of those great opportunities to not just sweep something under the rug, but instead to bring it to light and to allow the healing and, and the tender touch of your Lord and Savior to make you whole, right? To bring that kind of intimacy in your relationship. And so if you're here and this whole topic is bringing up pain, all I can say to you as a pastor is I am sorry. I am sorry. I'm sorry if there's pain in your marriage. Don't let it remain. I'm sorry if there's pain in your past, of brokenness, woundedness. I'm sorry if you feel like that pain is because of the choices somebody else made against you. I'm sorry even if you feel like the pain in your life is because of choices you've made yourself. All I want you to do is just know this is the opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit to come in and to bring his healing touch, his comfort, and his care into your life. Okay? Here's the deal. I, I, I want you to know that God has a plan for your sexuality. 
And so my challenge is that you would submit your whole sexual being to God and his best for your life. And this is what the scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. Friends, I want to challenge you to offer your bodies. Give your whole bodies to God. Pursue his best in your sexuality. And if you would, I'd ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and and we'll close And I just, I want you to hear this, that this idea of intimacy, of a covenant of love, of a union so beautiful and so mysterious and so lovely, this relationship of a husband and wife, do you realize that it is actually a metaphor of a relationship that Jesus desires to have with you? The Bible speaks about it so often. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we see that the, the whole thing, that all of history culminates in a wedding feast in which the, the groom, Jesus himself, sweeps his bride off her feet. That's you and that's me. That's the church. Beautiful and mysterious and tender. Or you take a look at Paul, and Paul talks about the analogy of marriage being the analogy of our relationship of love with God. And finally, Song of Solomon, we've talked about that before. It unpacks this mystery of the intimate tenderness that God desires as he pursues your heart and wants a relationship of love with you. See, he wants a close, intimate, loving, tender relationship with you. So come to him. Come to him now. Submit to his best. And if you've walked a road in your life and and you've not experienced God's best in your sex life, then I really do encourage you to repent, to confess, to lay it down at the foot of the cross. Get some help if you need to. And we know pornography is a reality. If, if that's where you are, if that's your struggle, today, lay it down. We know that there's sex outside of the covenant relationship of marriage. And if that's where you are, then friends, today, just lay it down. Come to God this morning and you will find that he is the most tender the most gracious, the most amazing, beautiful lover that your soul can ever hope for. And so, Jesus, we do come to you now. We come to you now and we recognize the areas of our lives that are not your best. We lay them down. We lay down all the sexual expression, all of the sexual temptation. We lay down all of the brokenness, all of our choices. We lay down all of the things that we have done to please ourselves and pursue ourselves as the highest aim. We lay it down. We ask that you would meet us now in our brokenness, that you would cover us now in your grace, that you would allow us to find your forgiveness deep and rich and real. And we declare that you're beautiful, Jesus. We declare that this relationship you invite us to is beautiful. And we want to say yes to it now. We submit our sexuality to you. We ask that you would redeem it, that you would redeem us, and that you would allow us to walk a road of your best in this life. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.